Please join me for the Bible reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 16 to 30. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Let me pray before we take a look at that passage. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your spirit is with us, and we ask that you would give us open hearts to receive what it is that you offer us today in these words of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, Last century, when I was a schoolgirl, I went to a school that had a tartan uniform. And one day, I must have been about 17, uh, a couple of my friends and I went into the city shopping. And um, an elderly man came up to us and struck up a conversation with us. It was, it was the tartan of our uniform. And he let us know that he was actually a lord of a small part of Scotland. And we were quite interested in this and we asked him a few questions and he leant in closer and said, I'm actually the Lord of all of Scotland and the Lord of heaven and earth. <laughs> we finished the conversation fairly quickly after this. And my memory is that when we were a polite distance away, we burst out laughing. Uh, we were surprised by his revelation, but we didn't take it seriously. We thought he was... Just an ordinary man, harmless but a little delusional. And here in this passage in John chapter 5, 
Jesus makes a similar kind of claim. But his hearers don't think he's harmless, do they, or delusional. In fact, they're angry with him and they want to kill him. So what's the difference between Jesus and the man I met 30 years ago? Well, uh, the difference is that the people who are listening to Jesus already know that he is no ordinary man. And we've dived into this part of chapter 5 of John's Gospel and we last left it in February of last year. So if you feel like you're not quite sure what's going on, that's okay. Let's have a little recap. Because what's happened at the beginning of chapter 5 is Jesus has healed a man. He's been in this place where there are these waters that are repudiated to have healing powers. And he comes across a man who for 38 years has been coming to this pool. He's, uh, he says oh, he's been an invalid for 38 years. He can't walk. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? And he says, for 38 years I've been coming here waiting for someone to put me in the waters so I can be healed. And Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. With a word, Jesus can heal this man. And his whole life is transformed. He has a new life. But the problem is Jesus has done this on the Sabbath day and the religious leaders are annoyed because Jesus is gaining popularity, but he is being unlawful. The Sabbath is a day of rest. And they don't like this. And so they come to Jesus and they challenge him about it. And so we come to the passage that you have in your booklets in front of you. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the leaders began to persecute him. And in his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Yes, this is a far worse offence, isn't it? Jesus' defence actually makes them angrier with him. He's not just healing on the day of rest. He's claiming to be equal with the one true God of Israel. And they know, and he knows, that they are to worship no God but him. And they're not to make an idol out of anything that is created under heaven and earth. And here is Jesus saying to them, I can work on the Sabbath because... My father's working on the Sabbath. I am God the Son, is what he's saying to them. It's surprising, perhaps, that Jesus doesn't try a different line of defence. Maybe he could have said, come on, can't you get your priorities straight? You know, the healing's a good thing. Maybe that's better than me breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus doesn't do this. And John's Gospel is very clear that the miracles that he records Uh, even though they're amazing in themselves, that Jesus can tell a man to get up and walk who hasn't used his legs for 38 years, that's amazing. But actually, all the miracles John records point to something greater. And Jesus is healing on the Sabbath so people can know who he is. He has an opportunity to say, I am the Son of God. And in case they didn't get it, in case we haven't got the picture, because we're out of that culture and maybe we're thinking, is that what he's actually saying? He goes on to make three very clear claims that he has the three unique attributes of God himself. So have a little look. Verse 21, he says that he is the giver of life. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. 
Secondly, in the next verse, he says he's going to be the judge of the world. The father judges no one, Jesus said, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. And the third thing he says is that he is to be held by them in the same regard as they hold God. 23, all should honour the son as they honour the father. So take a moment to let that sink in. Here is a man who's saying this to them. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who gives life. I came to bring new life now. He's been saying this already to people in John's Gospel. New life now, and also very clearly in this passage, life eternal. I'm going to raise the dead, he says. It's outrageous. Who is able to breathe life into a corpse? Who is able to change your life and give you new life from within? Only the Creator. Jesus says, that's me. Likewise, who has the right to judge all humankind? We have a bit of conversation going on in our culture about this. If you heard the comedian Hannah Gadsby talking about who has the right to say who is a good man and a bad man? Who draws the line? Who decides? Well, Jesus is saying, actually, I am the one who can decide. I am the one who will judge all humankind. There's quite an emphasis on that in this passage, and I think it's because of who his hearers are. The people who are listening to him have, in fact, already judged Jesus. They've heard him say these words, and they've decided that he deserves to die. And so his words to them are a kind of warning, I think. You do this at your own peril because ultimately I will be judging you, he says. They have decided to kill him, and this is a turning point in John's Gospel because the conspiracy that goes on now behind Jesus' teaching and healings all aims to, uh, heads towards his death, doesn't it, on the cross? Well, that third claim, that all are to honour the Son as they honour the Father, also becomes more striking and is also another warning. He says, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. This is very challenging for his hearers. He's saying, you actually can't worship the true God of Israel unless you honour me. Well, is Jesus very dangerous? He's, they might think so. Well, can I ask the question, is he being very arrogant? These are very huge claims. But if you look a little deeper, what you'll notice is a strange humility in Jesus' words. Notice the way that Jesus talks about what it's like for him to be equal with God or in nature God. He says in verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus is not saying he's another God. He's not even saying he's the mirror image of God the Father. He's not in competition with God. He uses the language of parent and child. He understands him to be God the Son of God the Father. And he talks about a kind of submission or obedience or deference on his part. It's almost, um, he says that he watches what the Father does. And he, when he talks about judgment at the end, I can't judge, any, I listen. I only do, judge as I hear God the Father. He's like an apprentice, isn't he? something that they would have understood in that culture. Jesus probably was an apprentice to his own earthly father, Joseph the carpenter. 
We don't necessarily have that strongly in our culture. Although in my family, the one thing I could think of was that I did teach Celeste how to make a pavlova a few years ago at Christmas. We have the Christmas pavlova, very Australian. And I taught her, and she watched me, and she listened, and she became good at making pavlova. And when I said to her last night, can I use this as an example? She said, you can, as long as you tell people that when we make our pavlovas on Christmas Day and we have this competition now where we say, which is the better pavlova, that people always say that mine is the better pavlova. <laughs> and I thought, that's fair enough, that is actually true. <laughs> and that's where the example falls down because... God the Father and the Son don't do that. It's true now that we, well, I've stopped making them, but it's true that we would make a pavlova and try and convince people to say which was the better one and spruik our own offerings to the family. But this is not how it works with Jesus. Uh, in fact, Jesus doesn't ever strike out on his own. He works in perfect unity with God the Father and seeks to give him glory. And Paul describes it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is so humble. He says he, Paul says he is in very nature God and he humbled himself to take on human flesh. We've thought about this at Christmas. And to die. His great act of obedience is to die so that we may have life. And Jesus speaks of the Father, unlike me trying to push my pavlova on people. Jesus says that God the Father is like this that he loves the son and he shows him all that he does. The father entrusts him with his own work and then he bestows him with authority and honour. And Paul writes it this way, Therefore God exalted Jesus, once he had died and risen, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the picture that emerges in these words of Jesus, as John's written for us, is that the one true God is both Father and Son. And later Jesus will speak also about a third one, the Holy Spirit, later in John. But they are not two or three gods, but one God with one, three distinct persons in perfect relationship with each other. They do the same life-giving work in their distinctive roles. They give glory to one another. And we've had a long time in the church to work through these words of Jesus and to try and understand what it means to have a triune God, we say is three in one God. And it's still a very mysterious and compelling picture. But it's a very beautiful picture of Jesus humbling himself and the Father giving him authority to bring life and to judge. 
Well, how are we going to respond to these words? Jesus actually says it for us. He says in verse 24, and I think this is the kind of nutshell. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus wants us to hear these words, to hear them and to believe them. And when we do that, we receive life. Life now and life eternal when we die. He says we will hear his voice. We are not without hope when we die. There will come a time when we hear his voice and he will raise us to life eternal. This is the extraordinary good news of the gospel. So we are to hear and to believe. And um, it's so simply put here, and we spent all that time last year looking at Romans and trying to understand that this is how we are to have life, by hearing and believing in Jesus. And he says it so simply here. It's the same message. But the hearers in the story didn't believe him. And I think it's fair enough to not be so sure yourself either. Because maybe you're sitting there and thinking, I actually think these are pretty crazy things to say about yourself as well. Maybe you haven't really, don't really know Jesus much. Don't know about him. That's fine. I want to encourage you to keep listening to him, to do the first thing, to hear and work it out. Allow your ear to be inclined towards Jesus. Ask your questions of him and of people here. There are plenty of people. I'm happy to talk through any questions. And next week we'll hear, um, Flick will take us through the next part of this. This is only the first half of a discourse where Jesus talks about by what authority he can say these things. So Flick will take us through a little bit more of that next week, how to discern these things. But for now, I say, if you are still wondering, take heart, because in John's Gospel, there are lots of examples of people asking questions. You might remember the Samaritan woman who Jesus speaks to. She's got a lot of questions, and he's patient and continues to help her to understand what he has to say to her. There's Nicodemus, who was also a religious leader, who earlier, very early in John's Gospel, comes to Jesus at night. He's got questions and he's listening to Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to be born again of the spirit. It's not about the good things that you think you're doing or all these these framework that you've got scaffolding around all the laws. Don't be constrained by that. Be born again of the spirit. Well, many of us have heard Jesus and we've been believing in him for a long time. And if this is you, I want to remind you that it really is that simple. My two sons, Alec and Toby, are away on beach mission at the moment and we get, um, this is where they go away, they're in Malakuta and if you haven't heard of this before and they spend a week running programs for kids and families and doing all kinds of things and they share Bible stories in the program with the kids that come. And we get some prayer updates and we got this update during the week and the best thing in the update was um, the story of a little boy who's six years old. Was it a boy? It was a child who was six years old, it may have been a boy, who wrote a letter And it said, dear Jesus, I believe in you. That child has crossed from death to life. It really is that simple. Jesus has given him new life in him. And I have no doubt that by his spirit, he will continue to know Jesus and to hear more of him. If we were to learn um, anything from the religious leaders in this story, 
I think it's that our religion, Christianity, is not about being preoccupied with those kind of frameworks. And it's easy to slip into that into, in our culture, to become critical of others or to become defensive of ourselves. This morning, my um, Uber driver was uh, of the Sikh religion, he told me, and I told him I was coming to church. And he said, I just think all religions are the same. I said, oh, let, I thought, oh, I'm preaching this passage. <laughs> um, I said, what do you, why do you think that? And we started to talk about it. I said, I think you're right. I think actually everybody, uh, religions are trying to um, acknowledge that there's more than just ourselves and that we're not in control of our lives. He said, yes, I think it's all about us trying to be a good person. And I said, I'm, I don't think that's what Christianity is saying. I said, I hear what you're saying and I think you, I know what you're saying because it really is that we want, to be living the, we want to be living a full life. But actually Christians say it's about the one good person. And he was going, really? <laughs> um, I can't want to tell you the whole conversation, but it was very clarifying for me to have this conversation with this man and to say, I, I am not a good, I'm not trying to be a good person. I may be a good person. But I know I have life now and life eternal because of the one good man, because of Jesus, who is the Son of God, who gives me life. Well, there's one more thing in the passage that he says that we can do in response. There's hear and believe. And then he says in verse 23, honour the Son. You cannot honour God, the Father, if you don't honour Jesus. How will we do that? We've been doing it this morning as we sung together. We'll do a bit more of that. Um, what does it look like to not be caught up in religious frameworks and judging one another and trying to be the good person? What does it look like instead to live a life of freedom that Jesus gives us, hoping for the next life in him and honouring him? I think it can look like a whole lot of things, but I've thought of a New Year's resolution for our church. I hope you don't mind. And that is, if we're going to honour the Son, we need to really know him. And we need to know him more than just an idea or having the right ideas about him. You might nail this passage, you know. You might really get it and you might be able to tell me, there are a lot of bits in there I haven't talked about. But do you really know Jesus? This man who came, this very Son of God, who lives and reigns forever, who will one day judge the living and the dead, he says, I want to give you life and I want you to know me. What would happen if we together decided we would really want to know this Jesus and we want to speak of him and we want to honour him as our God, the one that we worship? And so I think the best way that I've thought how I can get to know Jesus better is to just read the Gospels more. What would it look like if we were always reading the Gospels? with the Holy Spirit with us, helping us to know Jesus more, to know Jesus as the one. As Beck said, I didn't talk to Beck, and she said, I want to fix my eyes, I want to fix my gaze on him this year. This book I've been giving to community group leaders, it's got a really daggy title. It's called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. Now, I don't want that to put you off because it's a really wonderful book and I'm hoping it will shape some of the way we do things here. It's by Michael Frost, who's um, 
in Sydney. And the fourth habit is my favourite habit. And he talks about learning Christ. He says, marinade in the Gospels. Have you had any good barbecues this summer? You need a really good marinade, don't you? It really needs to go above whatever it is you've got in there. It needs to soak for a good long time. And I think developing the practice of this, to really marinate in the Gospels, would be a wonderful thing for me and for all of us to do and see what life it brings to us in our community. And we can get creative about this. You might be a person who has a Bible reading plan. I'm terrible with that. But if you're that person, read the, get into reading the Gospels a bit by bit each day. I'm going away on holidays for a week and I'm taking my books and someone can ask me about this afterwards. I thought as I was preparing this, maybe Luke's gospel will be one of my books. And I'm going to read it like I would read a book. Really interested in the story, but also in the character of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What, what's he like? What's he like? And maybe we could start to talk to one another about this. You know, what have you learned about Jesus? What is Jesus to you? What amazes you about Jesus? What do you love about Jesus? We do this a bit with our youth group. What's your favourite story about Jesus? Can we have Jesus on our lips with one another? He is why we gather. Can he be part of our conversations um, in our community groups? Wherever we are, let's make this a year to really know and love and honour the Son. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that you are the humble son of God and we long to give you the glory that is due to you and we thank you for humbling yourself, for coming to earth as one of us to live life and to die and rise again for us. We thank you for the hope it gives us, for our life eternal and we thank you for the way it redeems our lives even now and we pray that um, your spirit would be with us as we engage again with the Gospels. Help us to see afresh what it is that you've done for us, to know you more deeply and love you more. Thank you for your great love for us. Help us to hear and believe and to honour you truly. Amen.